The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Meta's moment, the stock popping as Facebook's earnings beat and revenue jumps more than 20%. We'll go inside all the numbers and get the details from the conference call straight ahead. Plus, fintech fade, a French payment giant falling over 50% on a serious slowdown in Europe. The crushing loss sending shockwaves across major U.S. players like PayPal and Square. We'll get the very latest coming up. And later, Texas Instruments, really bad day after... The options action on Amazon ahead of results tomorrow and topping the tape on Target, the stock closing higher for a change. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Carter Worth, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with a mega pop for Meta, shares of the social media giant. Now up 2.5% uh, just about after posting a top and bottom line beat, the company seeing a return to ad revenue growth after a dismal 2022 CNBC's Julia Borson has all the details now. Julia. Well, Melissa, Meta beat expectations on the top and bottom lines, reporting its fastest revenue growth in two years, 23% revenue growth in the third quarter. That's ahead of the 21% that analysts expected. Now, for the fourth quarter, Meta provided a revenue guidance range with a midpoint just a hair below analyst consensus. And in Meta's year of efficiency, the company brought down its expense outlook for the year, down to between 87 and 89 billion from a prior forecast of 88 to 91 billion. And it forecast its 2024 expenses for the first time, giving a range between 94 and 99 billion. Now for context, Analysts had been looking for expenses to come in at $100 billion or below, so they met that. Now, the company did flag growing expenses in its Reality Labs division and also warned, quote, we continue to monitor the active regulatory landscape, including the increasing legal and regulatory headwinds in the EU and the U.S. that could significantly impact our business and our financial results. Melissa, the call is starting right now. I'm going to jump on. We'll be back if there are any more big breaking news headlines. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Vorston. So it is still the year of efficiency. I think that was a big outstanding question for a lot of investors. Plus, the ad growth is there. It is continuing just like what we saw from yesterday's report from Alphabet. Guy. I understand the fourth quarter guidance was, okay, in line, maybe. Okay, let's back that out for a second. But. ARPU for Facebook, eleven dollars and ten. What is what is ARPU stand for? I was for? about to ask you. That would be average revenue per user. Thank we you, could Tim. Trade school that, or we could just keep moving. Let's eleven dollars and twenty-three cents. Street was looking for eleven oh five. Better nine thirty-one this time a year ago. Margins much better, forty point three percent, twenty percent a year ago. These are great numbers. I'm surprised the stock hasn't gotten back at least today's losses. This stock should be higher than yesterday's close, given this quarter, I think. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple hours. We did go in down 4% on the day. Well, that's just just it. So haven't even recouped. And so... Are they good numbers? It always gets bound that right. there's no such actually thing as good or bad earnings. All there is are earnings, and it's how the market reacts. So if the market is up a little wow. bit, it's not really good numbers. That's, right? It's great to have Carter here on a big <laughs> earnings day. I don't think anyone else here would have said that, by the way. It's awesome. I mean, that's just the issue. Why isn't it if it was good? Right. We should be up. Netflix, Netflix really went up, right? When that's it was. True. That's this is, true. This is. 
Uh, feeble is not even recouping today's losses. Feeble? Well, uh, no, I'm not going to. Uh, he's not saying feeble. I'm not going to say feeble. I'm going to say, uh, boy, we've we've combined the year of efficiency with the year of the best growth since 21, 23 uh, percent. But also the the dominance in the ad spend. And and look, maybe real material signs of AI growth. I mean, they talked about ad targeting and they talked about uh, dynamics that are very much AI related. And when we started evaluating who was best positioned for AI a few months ago when we started you know, to go down this road, I, I think a lot of people felt like it was Microsoft and, and Facebook. So Reels and Instagram continuing to grow, and, and obviously their, their, their audience and the size of, of uh, the platform amazingly continues to grow. Um, question is, where do you go with the stock from here? Because relative to, you know, it's, it's up 160% this year. Um, it's been struggling over the last three months, uh, unlike Google, which I think really rallied straight into their numbers. And I think that's really the difference in performance. But uh, hard to argue here, headcount down 24%. The low-hanging fruit on expenses is done, though. And that's the real challenge. Yeah, I agree with that. And that relatively labs business is going to be really important. That was one of the things that I think caused a lot of the concern in late 2021, all this metaverse sort of spending here. So uh, Julia just mentioned they have, you know, total expenses below $100 billion, which is what investors wanted, right? But, you know, R&D is going to continue to be high. And, and again, if, if like what we saw last night or what we saw today, if that Google Alphabet can lose $150 billion in market cap because they miss a couple expectations as it relates to their cloud business because uptake of the AI product is not as great as it was at Microsoft that gained, you know, $100 billion in market cap or whatever, this is probably not good enough, in my opinion. So, to Carter's point is that you need a beat and raise. This stock has been consolidating over the last three months. It trades at a valuation that has a lot of support. We know that they've been cutting costs, like all of this stuff. So the, the market reaction, again, we're an hour after the reported earnings. The only thing I'll just say this, if you want to broaden it out a little bit, you know, I'm looking at a sea of red in the Nasdaq, which closed down nearly two and a half percent of the day. The S&P closed one and a half percent of the day. You know, Microsoft makes up seven percent of the S&P. It makes up 10 percent of the Nasdaq 100. And we still had that devastation across the board. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to talk about like semis and Texas Instruments a little bit. I didn't think there was anything that horrible. I mean, other than I didn't think even Alphabet was that horrible. So yeah. why is the why is the Nasdaq down two and a half percent? Because today, we're, you know, I know we're going to talk markets. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, rates closed at their high. We had a closing high this cycle on the ten year four ninety five. You have every, the every was terrible. JGB bad auction. Um, all the things that are hurting equities and even the mega cap stocks, which which are less long duration stocks than other high tech stocks. So is that but, why the reaction is feeble, or are the earnings feeble? and deserve that commensurate reaction. Probably a little bit of both. But I mean, uh -huh. at the end of the day, there are a lot of people whose economic livelihoods, their lives depend on getting this one stock right. They're an analyst paid to know this, or it's a person with its biggest position or an insider. And this reaction is feeble. I think it's more about, the truth is, it's not that good a number. I think the reaction, I think the quarter is very good. I think given the fact that the stock has sold off 10%-ish, over the last couple of weeks, the reaction is feeble. The mm -hmm. stock, and I'm curious what Gene thinks, but the stock should be higher based on what I'm looking at right now, unless I'm missing something, which has happened before. So occasionally, uh, not too often. No, no, you're pretty sharp, buddy. Thank you. Um, but I, I, I think the comps here are also important. Think about yes. up 23% year over year. What was last year at this One time? One of the worst One of the worst years in their history. Revenue. All right. Yeah. And so we, we had a dynamic where also ad revenue was under a lot of pressure. It's nice to see ad revenue come back. We heard that from Google. Um, the, the growthier parts of the business are the ones that I think we have to be careful about. So it, it really is about the year of efficiency that might also be <laughs> largely done. I'm long Facebook. I'm not looking for reasons to, to push it down. But... Um, um, 
I, I, I agree. It's not an extraordinary well, number. Another reason why the conference call feels particularly important in terms of the commentary and how they talk about expenses. Mark Zuckerberg did an interview with The Verge last month and said, we are squarely back to developing innovative products. And when I hear that from Mark Zuckerberg, I think spending money. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, they're so up. Think, is that your efficiency still intact? Well, they gave their 94 time. spend, right? And right, and, right. and they, I, I think they're they're basically up nine percent or something like that. Is that good? Is that bad news? Uh, let's listen yeah, to the analysts. The, the, here's a company though that is competing on every front with some of the biggest companies in tech. When you think about you know Oculus and all the energy that they've put into this platform, which is basically this metaverse platform, which is again the stock sold off 75 percent since they changed the name and changed the focus of the company. And a lot of people, and I know Gene is one of them are really excited about Vision Pro and the applications that can be used for both enterprise and consumer, and that's a ways out. And so you think about that, you think about where they are in some of their social platforms. I mean, I don't know about you guys, I was kind of excited about Threads at one point, um, and you know, three or four months out, it just doesn't, they're not delivering on the product front. You would think that every week they would have another tweak, another, uh, you know what I mean, like sort of addition to that thing to keep people engaged, and they're not doing that. Um, so to me, and then and the last thing I'll just say about the ad spend, I mean, you know, what did Snap say to us last night? And I get it. Their revenue is like a rounding error for Facebook. Or, or, but they said that they're seeing a little bit of hesitation as it relates to the situation um, in the Middle East. And that probably only gets worse. And then just throw on what we're seeing. I'll just say the Russell 2000 acts like you know what. OK. Mm-hmm. And when you think about where a lot of those advertisers are coming from, they're small and medium sized businesses. So to me, I think that probably doesn't portend well for ad revenue in the near term. So what's interesting is that Microsoft. Microsoft and Meta are pretty much similar in valuation at this point. So given that we've seen the quarters, which one do you like better? Which one would you rather have uh, from this point on? My, uh, f- Facebook, I think, to really? be honest okay. with you. I think Facebook. Surprised by the uh, no, I, I mean, I get Microsoft. I understand the excitement around it. I think Facebook is a little more reasonable valuation. And I actually think this quarter was okay. I'm interested to hear what Gene says again. By the way, the Meta CEO is saying on the conference call they will continue uh, deprioritizing a number of non-AI projects, shift personnel toward working on AI. So they're jumping on that, further jumping on that bandwagon. So I think that was a would you rather. You just you dressed it up differently, <laughs> but I'm listening to you. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to the game. You know, I, It's Microsoft, I think. And I, I have trouble saying that. I'm not... Uh, I'm, I'm really not long Microsoft. I, I believe they have more leverage to pull. I believe the strengths that they showed were the ones that the market wanted to see, and at least is rewarding here. And, and I think there are multiple divisions in Microsoft where they're showing that they've got the pricing power and they're going to be able to push people around. But I, I don't think you have to love any of them here. Well, and I, right. I, I think, you know, I've that's got right. company here. But Yeah, you don't have to. I mean, if, if you really think about Meta. Meta is the exact same price it was two years ago. Literally two years ago, in the last weeks in October. So here's a stock that goes from 315, drops to 88, loses 70% of its value. Now it's back to where it was two years ago. Why do it? it I, I, how about the truth? Would you rather have cash? I'd rather have cash than Google. Then I, then I, then, uh, sure. Then Google? Or Microsoft. Or Microsoft? How or about Meta? between now and tomorrow? Or Meta? Or how about now and next Friday? Or now to the end of the year? I mean, you got to pick your time frame, but I would say. He's, like, he's, like, he's playing. He's, I was just saying. He just, just, just did a would you rather, rather. rather. I, I, I make an exception for Carter Braxton. Yeah, of course so. you do. <laughs> Um, let's uh, get some instant analysis from our friend, uh, Fast Money friend, Gene Munster. He's the managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to have you with us. Um, as was pointed out by the desk, you know, the reaction's not that great considering we went in with a decline of 4%. So what do you make of the, of the earnings and the guidance? Because if it were really that good, shouldn't we at least make up the losses from today's session? We should, Melissa. And I think that eventually investors will give them credit 
This was a solid quarter. I want to put a couple points into perspective is that DAUs, the daily active users, grew 5.4%. That's the fourth consecutive quarter of acceleration, albeit it goes from 35 to 4%, 45 But accelerating, that's a $2 billion number, uh, daily active users. That means that one out of every four people in the world visit a, a Meta property daily. And Zuckerberg kicked off the call. The first data point that he gave was that the number of people that uh, visit an app monthly was 3.9 billion. My last check, there's about 7.5 billion people in the world. That means that more than half the people in the world. That's, the uh, I think, one of the most important overlooked points to this quarter is that means that the machine, this addictive machine that they have, is intact. And as uh, of the second piece related to just the health of the ad business, that they uh, slightly exceeded the numbers. They raised revenue, by my math, by about 3% for the December quarter and kept expenses unchanged, which gets to the third point, which is margins. Margins are 40% operating margins. That's the best since June of 2021. And if you're curious, the operating margin for full year 2019 pre-pandemic, before they got that big boost in 21, was 33%. So they're uh, measurably higher. The question comes up, why own Meta? Deepwater, we do own Meta. The reason to own it is they have a lock in terms of reach that no other advertiser can get. We talked about how many people use it. And separately, they're doing it in a more profitable way than they did three years ago. And I think that is, uh, those are positives. Then I think you you put the, the final filter on top of this, which is valuation. I think it lines up attractive. Everything wasn't perfect. We can talk about Reality Labs. That's still a sore point for me. But that's how I see the quarter in aggregate. So to oversimplify, oversimplify what you just said, Gene, is it about growth or is it about efficiency? Um, why, why does someone own the stock? You own it for growth. And ultimately, the efficiency piece is going to uh, top out. I think that margins are going to go from 40% in September to probably 42%. But eventually, they're just going to kind of keep the margins at that level. It has to come to growth. Where are you going to get the growth from? I do believe that AI is going to make some of these content tools more easy to uh, build content. I believe in the creator economy. Instagram is one manifestation of that, a big beneficiary of that. And separately, I think that uh, this uh, placeholder that they have related to uh, the metaverse or spatial computing, I wish they wouldn't spend $15 billion. That is absolutely absurd that they're spending that kind of money on it. Uh, but uh, Tim, to answer your question, it's about growth. But uh, Melissa, if I can get 10 more seconds, I'd love just to to give you my thoughts on Reality Lab because that is, I think, the one negative here. Sure. All right, I'm going to go fast here. As I mentioned, uh, they've increased spending. It's going to be 15 billion, kind of a, a spend annually on that. Annually, Apple spends 30 billion in total and on their R&D. I mean, this just doesn't make sense. I think there's a place uh, for the metaverse. I think spatial computing with Apple is going to be a hit, but that number should be more like five billion a year, not 15 billion. Hey, Gene. So you know, we hear a lot about Bard. We hear a lot about uh, ChatGPT4. Um, talk to us a little bit about Llama. And and so when you look at a company like Meta, which valued um, not really anywhere near what Microsoft is. Mel just played the Would You Rather on Ooh. some of us here. But this is stock expected to grow. Earnings next year, 20% plus. Sales growth of double digits, maybe 12% or something like that. You just talked about the operating margins. Um, what's built in for their open source large language model Llama, which I think you believe. Um, that they're going to be able to integrate across a lot of these platforms that reaches nearly 4 billion people at least once a month. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of the substance. It's the the fabric that they're going to build products on. Just a few minutes I was on with the call. Zuckerberg, his first comments were about Reality Labs, and his second comment was about AI and getting those into all the products. And they need Llama to do that. They're not going to, based on what they've told us so far, they're not going to charge, they're not going to have a, an outright business uh, around Llama. And so it's not going to be a direct revenue contributor. But to your point is that the, that kind of generative AI that can be powered by Llama is going to make creating content more effective. And I think they can use uh, less on the generative side, but I think they can use AI to build better advertising tools. Remember, Apple ripped the ball out of Meta's hands when they had those changes to privacy. It was the right thing for Apple to do. It left Meta in a very tough spot that created a headwind a couple years ago. And they can uh, dig their way out of that by using AI to do better ad attribution. And that's part of the whole Llama story. All right, Gene, we'll check back with you on Meta a little bit later on after the uh, conference call proceeds. Um, Guy, what do you want to know about the, you know, what, do you, what would you ask on the reality, call? This reality Labs is a disaster. I mean, at a point now where it has to be addressed. I mean, they $210, I think, million dollars of revenue, right? And they lost close to $4 billion operating income. I mean, it's just an unmitigated disaster. At some point, either you have to have a direction for this have to have a vision or you have to cut bait and i think maybe that's what's holding the stock back a little bit all right let's get to the overall markets here a uh, sinking during the regular trading session dragged down by big tech the nasdaq dropping more than 300 points for its worst percent drop since february the s&p finishing below its 200-day moving average for the third time in four sessions both indices posting their lowest closes since may the drop in alphabet responsible for a lot of the losses google's parent company falling nine and a half percent its biggest drop since march of 2020 Apple, NVIDIA, Apple, all coming along for the ride. So does this action mean the market's uh, it's, it's been broken here? Carter, do, you, do we do damage? Um, for sure. And I think if you think about it, we're down still only about 9, 9 10% from the July peak. That's nothing. I mean, that's a sell-off. It's a decline. It's a drop. It's a drawdown. It's a correction. You choose the word. But it's nothing really cathartic. And so what if we get a, a Google-type thing out of, out of Apple? And what if the, the really compromised stocks in the Russell 2000 break to yet new lows. And I, I think one has to assume that. And so the question is, and this is important, at some points, there's nothing to be lost by postponing all new buying. You just don't have to do it. If you are mandated and you're being paid to Well, you're paid to have cash. Or, or, yeah. Right, and, exactly. And and, but individuals are not, right? An individual can make the decision, I just don't want to right. do this right now. Meaning I can hold back and wait and maybe get a more fortuitous price or level. Because we have uh, the chart master here, let me ask you about the breakdown, though, in the high multiple tech stocks. So these stocks that had outperformed everything because they were the most oversold, had, it, had big, big years coming into this. Some of them look like they're, they're about to test new lows, so fresh lows right. um, for this cycle. And the fact that the velocity of these moves lower in these names is more excessive than even mega cap tech. These led the market lower, believe it or not. They actually led the mega cap tech stocks um, lower back. And I'm talking 22. What does that mean to you? It just means that it's, it's gaining, it's gaining, talk about breath, the breath is now going the other way, right? It's gain, there's getting ferocity, people are trying to back away from the asset class of equities. And if you think about it, the, the things that were the most stretched weren't necessarily expensive. Home builders were cheap at the top, but they're, but they're cheaper now. The point is the things that were really stretched are the things that got hurt first. Uh, think about the big staple stocks, right, that were maybe expensive, maybe not. But now it, uh, you, you've always had bifurcation, strong housing, staples, while well, you've got the small cap making 52 lows. The bifurcation is always resolved by the strong ones succumbing, Estee Lauders and uh, Hermeses, while the weak ones get weaker. It, it, it's usually finished when everything has had its haircut. 
Tim mentioned yields. I'll, men- I'll go to Japan for a second, if I may. Sure. Dollar yen closing above 150, 150 and a quarter. Big deal. Ten-year yields in Japan, 86 basis points. I haven't seen that in a while. That's why our yields will continue to go high. Yields don't want to stay down. I mean, they had an opportunity over the last couple of days, closing high here at 495. I mean, it, it feels like yields continue to move higher from yeah. here. Yeah, and I'll just say this, you know, talking about, like, what led this latest, um, you know, I guess, sell-off over the last couple of months or so. Yes, it was Microsoft and, and, and Apple at one point were down 15%, and it feels like, you know, at least Apple is, is, is right back in that. But this felt a lot like 2021. Like, like we had a bifurcation like you're talking mm-hmm. about. I mean, we've seen, you know, tons of different sectors that are in correction mode. We've seen some of the worst valuation stuff, the, the stuff that doesn't make money, the stuff that was the craziest at, at the heights in, you know, early 2020. They've been correcting. They've been in bear markets. And so to me, like the equity market didn't feel great. And it doesn't feel great now with a 10-year at 495. You know, at 4%, for whatever reason, uh, like two months ago, people were like, well, you know, yields can go up and stocks can go up. And I think at 5%, they're showing us that they can't. And I also think that all the headwinds that we have about the economy, we haven't even talked about the economy yet. If we're looking through the lens of earnings season, it doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel like the consumer is great. When I hear Visa say, oh, travel's great, what are you talking about? We are like about this to be. They, in a, see. In a, they see it right here and right now. And they, you know, I, I don't know. But, we, you know, what did I say to you last night about what Brian Moynihan said about the consumer for the right. first time? In two years, he's kind of saying that maybe the consumer is not so strong. So I don't know, man. Like, like I, I don't man. I don't know. Have at it. I'm not buying it. Yeah, it was almost a have at it. I'm not buying it. All right, coming up. We've got more after hours action. Shares of IBM and Whirlpool on the move after reporting results. Numbers out of the quarters next. Plus, the auto trade hitting the skids. GM and Ford hitting multi-year lows. And even shares of chipmaker Texas Instruments have had their hazard lights on. The details on that when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get to some more earnings movers, starting with IBM. The stock is higher after reporting a beat on top and bottom lines. That conference call got underway at the top of the hour. Christina Parsonevelis, the details. Christina. A beat even with a strong U.S. dollar. It took less than two minutes for IBM CEO to bring up the opportunities in what? Generative AI and their over 20,000 AI consultants. He believes generative AI will consist of multi-models, so it'll be IBM's AI platform like Watson X, along with other companies' models and OpenAI. So it's a hybrid AI approach similar to the uh, hybrid approach to the cloud right now. But 75% of IBM's revenue comes from consulting and software. IBM's CFO uh, said they saw one of the strongest bookings quarters 
but consulting fell light of estimates. I asked him specifically about this. He blamed the strong dollar. Software grew 6% on a constant currency basis. Uh, Jim Cavanaugh, again, the CEO, said they are seeing, quote, nice green shoots of AI leading to a couple of hundred million dollars in the quarter. The company reiterated it would grow about three to five percent this year. And they reiterated their free cash flow of 10.5 billion. I also grilled them on that. I asked them how they're going to hit 5.4 billion in Q4 one quarter when the combined three quarters of this year was 5.1. He said they historically grow free cash flow more in Q4 and feels confident they can get there. That's why you can see shares up almost 2%. Melissa? Christina, thanks. Christina Parts-Nevelis. How does this chart look, Carter? Well, uh, IBM is a bond, right? It pays, uh, like a Ford, it pays 4.8%, 5%. Uh, consider this. The stock is the exact same price it was in uh, September of 1999. So it's the exact same price it was. Um, 23 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but it pays out 5%. Uh, or consider this, that 23 years ago, the number of shares outstanding has been cut in half. They bought back half the shares. It, that's all it is. So the fact that it's up a little bit, I think, is relevant. If you want to own it for the yield, it's probably a pretty good yield. Guy? I actually sort of like it. And don't, I know the haters are going to come, but I'll tell you, at least you can wrap your head around this in terms of valuation. It's reasonable. Mm-hmm. They seemingly have got their act together. The Red Hat thing is now fully integrated, doing pretty well. Infrastructure, I get it. Not a big part of their business, only three and a quarter billion dollars. But you know what? Margins are improving there as well. So they're, they, they're getting their arms around the business. And this is a stock that I think can sneak up on you. As a matter of fact, Melissa Lee, mm. Sandy Cannold, who is sitting He's back, back in our executive producer, our ex- EP, this was the eye in whatever anagram or whatever they call algorithm. I that don't even know what it was. Acronym. acronym. Yeah, what was it? <laughs> oh, Swift. I can hear Swift. Yeah, there you go. Swift. I, whatever Swift. it was. Swift. I don't know what the no, rest neither, is Nor do I. That was but a I know player the I was T-Swizzle, though. Huh? He was doing Swift the Taylor like Swift. Swift. Boy, that was That's what very, very leading edge, That's by Sandy's the way. I mean, it's, it's, this yeah. is the T-Swizzle year. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she's tough with the stock to pick. All right, let's get to Whirlpool here. <laughs> a company posting better than expected top and bottom line numbers, but weaker EPS guidance, sending shares lower in the extended hour session, down by uh, 5.5%. Steve Kovacs got the details. Steve. Hey there, no Taylor Swift angle here. Whirlpool shares falling despite beats on the top and bottom lines after revising guidance for full year earnings lower than analysts were expecting. Here are the results. EPS, $5.45 versus $4.25 expected. Revenue, $4.93 billion versus $4.81 billion expected. And as for that guidance, Whirlpool reaffirmed its revenue expectations for the fiscal year. But as for full-year EPS, dropping down to $16. Analysts estimated that would be $16.06, and all of that down from the prior range of $16 to $18. CFO in a statement highlighting cost cuts for the quarter, saying it's on track to deliver $800 million in savings, with $300 million of that saved this quarter alone. Mel, send it back over to you. All right, Steve. Thanks, Steve Kovac. Uh, Tim, you owned it at one point. It's been a great trading stock. No, I don't own it. I've known it for a while. Um, it, it, it's not expensive. It's probably just south of seven times, eight, or just south of eight times. Uh, it's paying a 5.5% dividend yield. This is not a reason to own any stock, I think. Um, It it is a case where uh, I think a lot of these housing components or ancillary housing trades have a lot of problems ahead of them. Again, you're talking about a consumer. Most people don't go and pay outright for an appliance. A lot of people actually put this stuff uh, on some kind of a financing dynamic. Uh, a lot of this was buy now, pay later. We're going to talk all about those disasters. But, um, uh, you know, if you look at some of the names in here, uh, and again, I would go inside the XHB, and I would just say, you know, for, for the restoration of hardware that's down 45% in 55 days, Williams-Sonoma is actually held in there. Mm-hmm. Should it? I don't think so. 
Um, I actually think that these are the kinds of pair trades you should be looking at. I actually, I, I'd be long RH against WSM. All right, this is a stock that is Exhibit A, why you should just own ETFs if you don't have conviction in more than a handful of names. And I mean that like quite because per- it is like what you just said about IBM trading at the exact place it was in 1999, pays a 4% dividend, it's a bond. This stock, the equity market cap is less than the debt that they have. It's been cut in half over the last few years from its recent highs or whatever. Like, like trying to parse through how this company is going to go from seven times earnings to 10 times earnings, and you think you're going to make 25% on that or something like that, is an absolute waste of time, in my opinion. So like, okay, thank you. I mean, like, like, I mean, like, it's a fun conversation. Maybe they do the more you know here or whatever. But like, I don't even know, you know. But also, like, it's such a classic setup. Technically, I mean, we know what a breakout is, where you have well-defined tops, at a common level, there's tension and it breaks out. Guess what? Well-defined lows at a common level. And what just happened? It is literally plunging down six, seven dollars in the number right from its 52-week low. Uh, terrible, terrible. What does the XHB look like overall? Well, that's the high flyer that's rolled over, and I would yeah. say there's more rollover to come. Yeah. Yields continue to go. We yeah, finally hit. Troubling. I think four and three quarters was the level in the 10-year where the XHB woke up. We go through five percent close above. It's going to continue to wake up, and it's not going to be a pleasant. Uh, you know what I mean? Eye-opening experience. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Investors hitting the brakes on the auto trade. And now, it's not just car makers feeling the pressure. The stocks that might need a seatbelt. Next. Plus, Lux in flux. Consumers showing signs of breaking down. The pain felt everywhere from payments to champagne. The hurdles facing the high end after this. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks dropping across the board. The Dow falling more than 100 points. The S&P down 1.5%, falling below 4,200 for the first time since May. And the Nasdaq notching its worst day since February, down nearly 2.5%. Auto stocks like Ford and GM hitting multi-year lows before ending the day in the green. Signs of a potential deal with the UAW spurring uh, this rally in the late session. But the effects of the auto worker strikes may be felt beyond the auto industry. Analysts pointing to a softer car market as one reason for Texas instruments weak forecast that stock dropping three and a half percent after its results last night. Meanwhile, WM, previously known as Waste Management, bucking today's trend up more than 6% after an earnings beat last night. The company also upping free cash flow guidance. That stock is up 6%. Wow, that's a big one. Um, you can make a case. Of, listen, I mean, you can make a case. This is one of those defensive yes. names, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Valuation, you can make a compelling case for an environment where I think people are starting to look for valuation. I think the move actually makes sense, and it probably has more room to go. I don't know if Dubs here has any charts on this sucker, but it looks okay to me. Yeah, well, it's, Dubs, Dubs has, uh, I, <laughs> I have them in my head. I don't have any to cite, but here's the thing. Um, it is defensive, and, and, and today's action is impressive, and I would say all things held equal. I might have a little of this even instead of cash. 
Oh, how about that? Wow. <laughs> All right. Coming up, a luxury letdown cracks and even the high end consumer starting to form the names under pressure in the secondary sectors, feeling the handbag hurt. That's next. Mm. And there's still more tech on deck. Amazon and Intel gearing up to report results tomorrow and options traders are plugging in ahead of those numbers. How they are playing this group when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Cracks starting to show in the high-end consumer. Now even major luxury brands are delivering warnings to Wall Street. CNBC's Robert Frank has got the latest. Hey, Robert. Melissa, good to see you. Well, Porsche's CFO this morning adding to those fears that the luxury consumer is, in fact, breaking down. He said, quote, we are suffering in the entire economy. It is also hitting the luxury industry. Those shares of Porsche down 12 percent this year. LVMH earlier this month reporting sales growth of 9 percent. Doesn't sound bad, but that was half the level of the earlier quarters. LVMH stock now down 24 percent from its highs. Company CFO saying, quote, After three roaring years, growth is converging more in line with the historical average. You've got luxury giant Keering. They've taken the biggest hit. The owner of Gucci and Saint Laurent saw North American sales down 21%. Asia X Japan was flat as uh, China's recovery seems to be slowing a bit. Keering stock now at the lowest level since March of 2020. And even Hermes, which beat on sales and is always the strongest of these luxury players, that stock is down 12%. Analysts say going forward, the most discretionary items from the most aspirational brands are the most at risk. And Mel, perhaps the surest sign that the roaring 20s may be ending, LVMH said champagne sales are down for the first time in three years. I mean, people have to drink something, Robert. I just don't get that. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Robert Frank. <laughs> Meanwhile, and that was believable, wasn't it? I, I didn't mean it. <laughs> Another ominous sign for consumers. Payment stocks affirm Block and PayPal plunging today. The move comes after French payment company Worldline slashed its full-year targets, pointing to a slowdown, particularly in Germany. Those shares cut by nearly 60% today. So what does this all say about the strength of the consumer? Definitely... Not good, Dan, to your point earlier. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about, Visa. I mean, you could take one company that operates very well, and they might have something to say that might not be great to extrapolate to a whole bunch of other businesses. And again, I think, you know, when you think about a company like Worldline and Adyen, which is out of Mm -hmm. Europe also this summer, had a disappointment. We see how Square um, and PayPal are trading. We see what fintech valuations. We had uh, Nigel Morris from QED, uh, fintech investor, last week on the show talk to us about that and thinks there's probably further room to go to the downside. It's just a place where investors don't want to be public or private, which is not a great thing. Like there's going to have to be a bloodletting. Maybe it's one of these on a big scale here in America to do that, to have a sort of capitulation, because it doesn't feel like we've reached capitulation. yet. No, well, I, I mean, uh, PayPal, which I, I was nibbling in the low 60s, so I have a position. And I thought, you know, they'd gone through a lot in terms of uh, both management changes, in terms of really where they are kind of, you're getting real numbers now out of true users and globally. But but the, the payments world also punctuated by, you know, the headlines about the Fed putting, you know, lower caps on, on credit card companies. This yeah. is awful for Visa and MasterCard, the big daddies. But, but I, you know, if you look at FICO store, upper FICO scores, you, you clearly are not seeing an erosion in that consumer. And so, yes, there is some insulation in, in I think, that luxury branding. As you get into the lower stuff, and, and I, I would just say that, that fintech offerings have allowed uh, lower income consumers to really counter a lot of the inflationary forces out there. 
for only so long. Uh, and this is where the sensitivity to unemployment is massively high. So to me, um, whether you're a mortgage processing company, whether you are a buy now, pay later, um, or whether you are just exposed to, to fintech and, and student loans and whatnot, all of them, to me, all of them are going lower. And that's on their core business. And it's on their funded costs. Um, it has nothing to do with the credit quality, which is getting worse. I, I wouldn't go near any of this stuff. I think it goes lower. To your point about higher FICO scores versus lower FICO scores, I mean, that's exactly what we heard from DFS when they reported it's the lower band, mid band FICO st- score cust- customer that is really starting to feel the stress in this market. And now we're seeing it on the other side of the equation right. as well. So Tim makes a great point. Real quick about PayPal. November 1st, I think, I mean, this stock is now at a six or seven year low. Yeah. Single digits PE trades at one and a half times revenue. I mean, it's a profitable company that's trading like a distressed company right now. If they're just in line on November 1st, you got to get a bounce at some point in this name. Right. But 18% of its revenues last year from Europe. I know. It's It's a disaster. Uh, We got some breaking news we got to get to. New CEO at Morgan Stanley has been named. Leslie Pickard's got the details. Leslie. Hi, Melissa. Yes, that highly anticipated CEO search. Uh, is over. Morgan Stanley announcing that Ted Pick has become CEO of the firm. This is in a press release announced moments ago. Two of the other contenders, Andy Saperstein uh, and Dan Simkowitz, will become co-presidents. Uh, Saperstein will be co-president and head of wealth and investment management. And Simkowitz will be co-president and head of institutional securities. Uh, a bit about Ted Pick, uh, some background here. He had recently served as co-president of Morgan Stanley for the past two years, uh, and he previously ran the Institutional Securities Group, uh, where he oversaw investment banking um, and institutional securities uh, as head of institutional equities. He was seen as really transforming that business um, and putting it in more of a global leading position when he was in charge of that. And before that, he led um, equity capital markets, which is the division that underwrites equities, IPOs, and so forth. Um, In this statement, we've got some uh, statements from James Gorman, who will become executive chairman as part of this uh, change here. He says, for several years, I have worked with the board to ensure an orderly succession. I feel strongly that now is the time to step aside. The board's selection of Ted Pick is an outstanding one. I have worked side by side with Ted since the financial crisis and have experienced firsthand values, uh, firsthand his values, intellect, passion, and commitment to our people and our clients. So Morgan Stanley naming uh, CEO Ted Pick uh, as the next CEO here. Melissa? By unanimous vote at that. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Um, He's got a lot to tackle here. The last quarter from Morgan Stanley was a bit lumpy. Uh, Stocks certainly didn't respond well. Investment banking was a big problem there, Tim. So it's easy to to point out Morgan Stanley has de-risked their business away from a lot of the investment banking because of the wealth management. But you can't tell me that there's not a huge risk over wealth management, too, as as we start to see, uh, again, NAVs just come down, period, across the board. There's some exposure to E-Trade. I'm not saying it's toxic exposure. I'm just saying if you look at valuations and all the reasons why they deserve a premium, they do deserve a premium, um, it's some of those things are still under pressure as well. That chart, I don't know, Carter, you tell me. Boy, that looks awful. Pretty awful. In fact, the industry group itself, the S&P 500, in Investment bank and brokerage group making new 52-week lows today, mm. and Morgan Stanley the same price it was in 1998. So here's another instance of the cult of equity. If your stock's unchanged for 23 years, what did you really do for anybody? Looking for support, it probably comes in the form of the prior all-time high way back in 2018, around 60 bucks. You're like, how can that be? Well, you know what? In this environment, it can be for sure. 
Coming up, earnings season just getting started, and there's even more tech on deck to report the action in the options pits ahead of tomorrow's big results next. And one relative bright spot amid today's market sell-off, what is driving shares of Target higher? And can the gains in this beaten-down name last? Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The tech earnings train keeps rolling. Tomorrow, Amazon and Intel both on deck to report after the bell following some big losses in today's session. Options traders are betting the reports could lead to even more carnage. Mike Coe joins us now with the action. Mike, what's it looking like? Both of these were quite busy, and both of them are implying some pretty big moves. First, we'll talk about Amazon, which was actually the fourth busiest single stock option today. That one's implying a move of about 6.5% on earnings, about 8% by the end of the week. We saw a buyer of 10,000 of the October 27th weekly. Those are this Friday's 115 puts. Buyer paid a dollar contract for those, or about an outlay of a million dollars. Those were uh, actually priced at 220 by the end of the day, so that one's already quite profitable. And the other name we're looking at is Intel. This one also implying a move of greater than 6%. And we saw a similar bet here early in the day. Buyer of 8,300 of the December 1st weekly, 28 strike puts. Buyer paid about 30 cents. And those two had appreciated by day's end, about 42 cents-ish. So up about 100,000 bucks on that trade. All right, Mike, thanks. Mike Coe, it feels like Intel needs to pull a rabbit out of the hat, sort of, uh, in terms of what it needs to deliver to convince Wall Street that it is still in the game. Data center. I mean, just come in line and I think it'll be okay. But any miss in this move from basically 25 to 33, half of it will be erased on the back of this quarter. Coming up, more meta madness. We are keeping a close eye on the social media giant. Deepwater Gene Munster is listening in on the call. We'll give us all the key takeaways. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. That gain in the after hours for Meta, it's slipping away. It is up only about a third of a percent. The earnings call is still underway. Let's check back with Fast Money friend Gene Munster. Gene, what's the problem here? Uh, Melissa, the problem came in the form of a question about geopolitical impact from what's recently happened in the Middle East. And CFO uh, Susan Liu's answer was that they can't attribute anything specific there. Israel's a small part of their business. But they did notice uh, when that's happened, there's just been broader softness related to advertising to start the quarter. As she said, she thinks it's related to just global disruption. Uh, she mentioned they saw a similar dynamic when the Ukraine conflict war started, and uh, that has spooked investors. And so that's the reason why it's lost some of its gains is never use the word softness as a CFO or when you do just be prepared for the stock to sell off. All right. Uh, Gene, thanks. Gene Munster. Um, We heard that from the much, much, much smaller rival Snap in terms of uh, the conflict causing ad campaigns to take a pause here. So maybe this is not entirely surprising. Guy. Yeah, and we Dan mentioned it, but again, small and medium-sized business. Carter's pointed this out. The micro-cap stocks have absolutely rolled over. A lot of their revenue, Facebook, comes from these businesses. If they start to feel the pinch, Facebook is going to feel it as well. Obviously, what we just talked about does not help. Dan? Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, this goes back to these companies, they want to be constructive, right? But they don't have a whole heck of a lot of visibility, just like the consumer doesn't have a lot of visibility, just like a lot of their customers don't have a lot of visibility. So you throw all this geopolitical stuff into the mix and you think about what's going on here in the U.S. We have this debt ceiling thing that's coming up. There's just not, if you're a corporate, you just don't have a lot of reason to be too optimistic. So to me, I think it makes sense for a company like this. I'd rather be cautiously optimistic than over my skis a little bit. Right Now, now in negative territory. Well, I, I, I guess, look, 
for all the horrors, and we're not a political show, so I'm just talking about the cyclicality or the dynamics. It seems to me, it seems like a, a weather sell-off, you know, when you're talking about airlines. I mean, in other words, is that really a reason to sell airlines? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the dynamics around geopolitics aren't things we're talking about more broadly for risk and markets. Um, identifying the uncertainty in the Middle East and what that means to their audience is, is to me, not the reason you're selling Facebook. All right, let's get to Target here. Topping the tape today, closing up more than a percent and a half higher after Guggenheim reiterated its buy rating and $160 price target on the stock. That's about 45% higher than today's close. The analysts writing that if Target can regain its pre-pandemic margins, full year earnings per share could top $10. They're making the point that you can, uh, you know, pay less for something bigger next year because next year's win... Target should really improve in terms of the business. Do you see that in the charts, Carter? Does that make sense to you? I mean, this stock was almost $300. It's 110 so it went up a little bit. Like, uh, this is just not something I would touch with anything. You know, nobody's money, your money, anybody's money, not my money. Your enemy's money? <laughs> your enemy's money. Don't, don't even go after your enemy with this one. A lot of ifs. If, if, if. That's you know, That's, that's fine. That's they, I can do that math. If they get those <laughs> margins 10 north of $10, the valuation of 16 times makes sense, $160 stock. Problem is, margins have not been particularly good. They have an inventory problem, and nobody's going there anymore. I mean, those are, not, those are three things that they have said over the last couple of earnings calls. But this is where, to me, I think relative valuations mean something. So relative to Walmart. And again, the underperformance. You want to pick a time spot. Let's just do year to date. It's underperformed Walmart by 40%. Um, you look at the, the relationship between these two companies over the years. This is a, a three standard deviation move of Target underperforming Walmart. So in a world where I, I love Walmart, but but the underperformance here of Target to Walmart, when in fact they still have a very similar consumer, even though Walmart we know is lower end than that. I think that's an interesting trade being long Target over Walmart. I, I agree with that. And this company is not going to be Kohl's. It's just not going to be Kohl's. OK, so like when you have a company that is revered by their customers, but also for as long as they had been by investors, they're going to figure this out. They're going to have to figure it out, in my opinion. Um, and so, you know, like to me, I just actually think at 100 bucks, like going back to those 2020 lows, I think from a. I'm not you. I'm not the chartist. I'm the chart master. I'm just saying, like, I start to think there's like technical support, and I think there's valuation support too. Sure. I mean, look, you, you can always just say today is the day, and, and if you're going to do that, go small. Um, but I would rather I would rather forego Rock the next ten percent, twenty percent. Meaning, or said differently, you go first. I'll be right behind you. <laughs> Fair enough. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim. Utilities. Uh, again, whether that was the climax low, I don't know. But NEP, NXT, they've given you some reassessment of their business and their cash flow. DBW. O'Reilly, which reported is up 5% after hours. I would fade the move. Dan? Uh, yeah, semis. I think Intel probably disappoints. AMD probably disappoints to be a seller on rallies of the SMH. You right. folks with the eagle ears would heard Frank Sinatra's luck be a lady. That's true. Because Stephanie had a plane, which is fantastic. Uh, IBM, Melissa Lee, I like it. All right. By the way, Meta is down 1% after hours. Stay tuned. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
Diaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.